All right, we are on. What's up? We are going to talk about, actually, I don't know if I'm gonna go through all 39 of these. You know what, we might call this 39 stress management techniques. That might be the title of today's thing. So this might be Corey's longest podcast. Or I might just consolidate it down and put it things in the groove. So I'm not really sure yet. So this actually started with a conversation with one of my coaches in Mountain View, shout out Amanda, about wanting to learn more about how to help you guys as clients with stress management techniques, right? Because obviously a big vital piece to mastering health and optimizing health is obviously managing stress, right? And stress is not something to be scared of as long as it's acute, as long as it's controlled and as there's a balancing act just like everything else in life. But chronic stress leads to a downstream effect of pretty much everything becoming worse and everything that you're trying to do with your health and body composition becoming very, very hard to do and or probably even ineffective, right? Um, and this is a conversation that happened a couple times over the last week just with the uh, nutrition challenge follow-up. And some people, you know, the nutrition challenge for me is always interesting because it's like a cool way for me as a coach to selfishly look at data in front of me with clients for the ones that filled it out by the way i know this might be a side note and people have no idea what i'm talking about like the nutrition challenge so many people just put check marks instead of numbers i have no idea how many grams of protein or how many grams of fruit or produce or how many you know ounces of water it was just a check mark and i'm like this does nothing for me so for the ones that did it correctly i appreciate you because you actually gave me something that i can work on um, the data in front of us, you know, good or bad as far as the results go, data is always good because no matter what the result is, it allows me to use that information to make change for you in the future. Now, there was a couple people that were on top of the protein, on top of the produce, on top of the water, hit every goal there, had the movement, had the exercise, and honestly didn't see anything that I would be excited about as far as results were as well. And that's where you start to get into kind of some of these deeper levels of kind of coaching, right? Is like, what do I look at inside of someone's body or health that's preventing them from losing weight or reducing body fat, but they're eating the quote unquote, all the things, right? They're eating the protein, they're drinking the water, they're eating the fruits and vegetables. Uh, obviously there was nothing with calories involved here, but really the deeper part of the conversation then looks at kind of the tier two stuff that I talk about with six dimensions, which is like, how does sleep and stress management look? Because if we're not managing sleep and stress, and obviously in today's conversation is going to be around stress, you are making everything else work a lot harder or you're making everything else not work at all, right? So I want to kind of start off with, you know, what what is stress? Why is stress something that we should be worried about if it's chronic and things like that? So stress itself is a response from a stimulus, right? And that stimulus can be both physical, emotional, psychological, whatever, right? It does not matter if you have a torn hamstring or you have a broken heart from a breakup or you have a frustrated mindset because of leaving work bad or something like that. Your body is going to have this stressful response, right? And with stress, we always think about the famous hormone of cortisol. Cortisol is one of those hormones that naturally is going to be elevated when we are in a stressed out state. Now, cortisol going up, not the end of the world. Cortisol staying up and not coming down or having high levels of cortisol all the time then becomes something that we actually need to manage and we actually need to worry about. So, well, maybe not worry about that defeats the entire purpose of managing stress. But so when you think about this anabolism versus uh, catabolism, right? So being a catabolic state or an anabolic state, most people, clients still think that they go to the gym to build muscle. You do not build any muscle here. You break it down here. So the act of working out is a stress to the human body. You are literally breaking tissue down with the weights that you're using, right? Or the act of going into a sauna is a stressful response. The act of going into a cold plunge is a stressful thing. The act of fasting, these are all modalities of stress. But these things, when they're moderated correctly and you actually have good control of the recovery aspect of them and there's the balancing act between these two things and you see this beautiful cycle, 
It's a beautiful thing. This is how you get stronger. So stress is not something to remove from the body. Stress is not something you want to avoid. Stress is something you just want to be able to make sure that it's cyclical and it's moderated and managed correctly. So when it chronically goes up, here's what happens. Cortisol is going to kick up, right? Cortisol is obviously that quote-unquote stressful hormone and not a big deal. Obviously, if it's staying up, what ends up happening is it's cortisol is one of those things that's going to basically mobilize your fuel sources, right? So it's going to basically put a little bit more sugar into the blood to mobilize some of the glucose, right? It's even going to kind of mobilize some of the fatty acids a little bit. So you're going to see that both the fatty acids and the glucose in the blood are going to be elevated during times of higher cortisol, right? But that's okay because you're using that fuel ideally for what your body is trying to fight. And that doesn't matter if it's a workout or running from a mountain lion or a heartbreak. It doesn't know that, right? So during this response, you have a mobilization of this fuel sources, right? Now, what ends up happening, and this is one of the things that you see what makes weight loss so hard for people in the diet world, is when cortisol goes up, blood sugar goes up, right? Blood sugar is toxic to the body when it's too high, right? So when you have high blood sugar, you're out of a range that your body says that this is okay, your body then starts to release insulin from the pancreas, right? And insulin is a very anabolic hormone, right? Uh, I tell this story, and I was just talking about today in the team meeting that, you know, one of my favorite all-time bodybuilders, Flex Wheeler, and obviously most of these guys are injecting themselves with plenty of stuff, but they would inject insulin the day before the show into the muscles, and then they would eat, you know, 500, 600, 800 grams of carbs the day before and the day of the show, and it would just fill up the muscle bellies, right? They would look so pumped, and obviously looks like almost fake on how big they look. So insulin is a very anabolic hormone. It's one of those things that drives the nutrients into the tissue, right? So your body thinks, okay, okay, well, if I have blood sugar high, if I release insulin, I'm going to take that sugar out of the blood and I'm going to start to feed it into the cells, right? Into the muscle, into the liver and all these things. So it's something that obviously when it is in a healthy, metabolically healthy state, insulin goes up and comes back down. So like blood sugar going up, it will come back down because insulin doing a job. So what happens when you're chronically stressed is that blood sugar stays high that insulin stays high and your insulin and blood sugar are kind of always working bi-directionally to each other but eventually what happens is the cells become resistant to the insulin right so the insulin is kind of the hormone that is the key to unlocking the cell so i can get the glucose into the cell if i cannot get the glucose into the cell i'm going to have elevated levels of blood sugar right and this is where you start to have these kind of downstream effects of what's making weight loss such a hard journey for you right and what ends up happening is it leads to insulin resistance, right? Insulin resistance at that muscular level. There's insulin resistance at a cardiovascular level, at a brain level. This is where Alzheimer's, cardiovascular health problems, like all these issues, right? So we want to be insulin sensitive. There is periods like, you know, for example, in the morning, we're more insulin sensitive. And late at night, we're less insulin sensitive. We're actually insulin resistant. And both muscle cells and fat cells can have their own opposing resistance in sensitivity periods. But ideally, the goal is we want to remain insulin sensitive, right? That's someone that would be, quote unquote, metabolically healthy. Meaning if my blood sugar goes up because I go eat a brownie right now, my body should be able to take that blood sugar, put it into the muscles and make that thing work. Now, if it's not doing a good job of it, it ends up staying high or you end up storing a lot of it, right? And you can be overweight or even higher in the body fat percentage and still be necessarily like metabolically healthy or even insulin sensitive. That doesn't mean it's just like, if I'm overweight, I'm definitely insulin resistant. It's not what I'm saying here. Um, it's just something that it leads to with high stress, right? And this is obviously what we're going to talk about today. So you end up seeing this kind of cortisol turning into this insulin resistant kind of period. And that's obviously just a downstream effect. Now, when you look at cortisol and melatonin, they have an inverse relationship from each other, right? So cortisol is as high as peak in the morning. And that's the thing that actually kind of wakes you up in the morning. 
um, and melatonin's highest at night, and that's the thing that obviously makes you tired. So when you want to have this nice balance of this inversion of when cortisol highs, melatonin's low, and when melatonin's high, cortisol remains low, okay? Um, so what I want to do is I want to kind of jump into some of these kind of quote-unquote stress hormones and the things that we would have as part of the conversation as well. So things like dopamine, things like serotonin, things like endorphins, things like oxytocin, oxytocin, sorry, no, toxin, <laughs> um, and how they relate to what we're going to talk about today. So dopamine is the reward chemical, right? So when you think about completing or working on a task, that's going to give you this little dopamine hit. One thing about dopamine is it's not necessarily finishing the task that gives you the dopamine. A lot of time it's the hunt itself. Right, so if you were to think about, if I'm going to use just use hunting, I guess as an example, hunting itself is a release of dopamine. Once you've hunted it, you still get some level of a dopamine, but people think it's only when I completed a task. But but the act of working on a task is something that helps with dopamine. Um, doing self care activities, eating is a release of dopamine. Celebrating little wins. I'm going to kind of break these all down and how they're going to relate to some of the things I'm going to talk about that are going to help with the management tools and techniques that you would use serotonin right this is known as the moon uh, the mood stabilizer right so this is things like meditating this is things like running or exercise sun exposure walking in nature uh one thing with serotonin that we need to remember is 90 to 95 percent of your serotonin production comes from the gut so you can imagine the impact that the food and the diet that you have has on your serotonin being and if that's the the mood stabilizer that's the happy hormone or the happy kind of chemical that we like to call it that's something that we obviously want to be able to maximize if we're thinking about stress or depression or anxiety. Um, endorphins, right? This is known as kind of the quote unquote, the painkiller. This obviously comes from two things. Number one, exercising. Number two, laughing. Um, if anybody is a runner, they know that I use running as an example because I think running for me is probably the most dramatic um, as far as like that runner's high. And that's an endorphin thing, right? And this is why one of the techniques that I have, and I think it's the first one, is like why you got to be moving more, right? It's like the act of being sedentary is just the easiest way to never release endorphins, right? Then the other one's laughing, right? And this is why I think it's so important to make sure that you're watching the right things, listening to the right things, being surrounded by the right people because living a good life with low stress requires you enjoying it and laughing about it, right? Um, oxytocin, uh, why do I have such a hard time today? I'm screwing this up in the meeting too. Oxytocin is known as the love hormone, right? And this is something that if you were to think about when I play with, you know, when I'm playing with Kona or petting Kona or hanging out with my nephew or nieces or babies or friends or, you know, physical contact, holding hands, hugging, giving compliments, these are all things that release that hormone as well. So when you think about stress management, right, we think about reducing anxiety and reducing depression and maximizing a life of vitality where you feel really, really good all the time, we want to pay attention to how do I optimize dopamine? How do I optimize serotonin? How do I optimize the endorphins? You know, how do I optimize all these things that I'm just talking about, right? So that's kind of what we're going to do as we jump into these things. Some of these might be very straightforward and simple. Some of these might be very impactful for you. When you look at a stressful state and you are stressed out, there might be one or two, three things that you really, really are going to get a lot of impact from. And then the mess of it, the rest of it might be like, hey, that maybe gave me a 2% improvement. That gave me a 1% improvement. That gave me a 10% improvement. So I'm going to go through all of them. There's probably so many that I'm missing. But at the end of the day, I think the action, and this is kind of why I wrote it as the last one down, but I want to kind of start with this first. I think inaction is one of the easiest ways to cause stress and anxiety and create depression for yourself, right? Because sitting in your thoughts or sitting period or just not moving or not acting or not doing anything the lack of action 
creates a very stressful environment for the body, right? So the idea that action is one of the things that's going to help manage stress better than most things in life is the most important thing to understand with everything that I'm going to talk about because I can give you all these kind of tools and tactics and strategies and plans and structures, but if you don't act on them, you're going to remain stressed with all the tools in your hand, right? So the action itself, the work itself is the thing that's actually going to help reduce stress and manage your stress better than anything else that I tell you today. Okay, so that's just like the number one thing I want to start off with. Um, number two, well, number one technically, but move more, take a walk, right? This is kind of in line with the endorphin side of what I was talking about. When you think about like, how do I get the chemicals and the hormones in my body to be optimized for creating a happier state for my body? Movement, walking, all those things, exercise are obviously going to be kind of the number one way to start. I've always said this, the number one way to the mind is through the body, right? The number one way to the spirit is through the mind. So in order for me to really optimize my mental state, I need to optimize my physical state. In order to optimize my spiritual state, I need to operate or optimize my mental state. So you think about all these doors that you need to open to get to a certain place. The number one way to do that is through your body, right? And this is coming back to that action thing that if you can do it through your body, you can make a big impact on your mental state. Number two is I put train smart. And this is where the regulation of like serotonin and dopamine come in play. But what I mean by training smart, you know, something that I would say that I'm not a fan of with like Barry's boot camp and Soul Cycle and Orange Theory and F45 and these kind of like high intensity workouts is they they sell really well, right? And they sell well on the forefront and the actual workout. And here's what I mean by that. As a client or as someone that works out, you always perceive your workout based off the amount of sweat or exhaustion that I have. But anybody that knows what they're talking about knows that that's bullshit. Like you do not need to sweat to have a great workout. So the frequency and the structure of your workouts becomes important. Now what I wanna say is sweating is not a bad thing. It's not something I'm saying you should avoid or intense workouts or interval training. It's not something you should avoid. Doing it all the time is something that you should avoid because that is a very quote unquote stressful thing to the body. So lifting really, really heavy all the time is just as bad as doing really high intense cardio all the time. So there's a balance between all these things as always that I want to train hard, but I want to recover well, right? So I need to have days where maybe two or three days a week, I train really hard with heavy weights and maybe other days and focus a little bit more movement, lighter weights, form technique. Or maybe it's like, hey, two or three weeks, I train really hard and maybe I take one or two weeks. So like looking at things either in the macro or the micro, you got to break it up into a way that feels most sustainable for you. Um, cardio, I would say, is probably one of the most abused things. Uh, exercise is one of the best antidepressants we have as humans, right? So like nothing is going to give you a feeling. And it's actually, there's studies out showing this, and this is what I love about it, that even better than the antidepressants that would be prescribed by your doctor, exercise is one of the best mood enhancers that we have, right? And it's the best way to the mind through the body, obviously, right? But training it correctly because overtraining can lead to a more stressed out state and environment for the body. So if you're always doing super intense stuff or you're training really hard five, six, seven days a week, trying to beat the stress out of you literally you're going to actually end up moving backwards because just like we said earlier exercise is a stress so i want to make sure that i'm not using fighting fire with fire in a sense so balancing it between those things so when you're doing cardio make almost 70 to 80 percent of your cardio zone two ish right low level i'm walking i'm doing light jogs i can breathe through my nose the whole time i can have a conversation i can sing my songs as i'm on this walk or run or bike ride or swim or snowboard like whatever it is right like whatever you find most enjoyable now strength training being the same thing 80 percent of that is not going to be max effort lifts 
you know, 20% of the time, 10% of the time, 30% of the time, depending on what season of training you're in, you go really, really hard or you go really, really intense. So I think it's a balance between what you're actually looking for. But if we're speaking on today being a stress management protocol, that's something to think about. Um, number three, this is probably a huge one for me and I always realize it during this time of year, getting more sunlight and getting more red and near infrared um, light as well. So red and near infrared light like i have a red light panel i have an infrared sauna you know and that's something that i always tell people like you can use it on periods where you don't see a lot of sun to help with mood enhancing and obviously a lot of cellular repair mitochondrial function um i was talking to nikki about from hair growth perspective whatever it is right um but the sun at the end of the day you gotta remember so when you get sun directly in your eyes right it's gonna help improve the the, the production of serotonin it's gonna help improve the production of dopamine right and it's good those are the things that increase the happiness those are the things that increase the alertness so when you're looking at how do i optimize my mental state being inside under fake blue light is a recipe for disaster that's an environmental hazard sun is the thing that drives all growth for millions of years on this planet for both us as humans plants animals everything right so if you want to get a good way, and they actually used to even have these at hospitals. They used to call them sunrooms, right? They would even put the babies out like when they were first newborn. They would have them. You know, they understand the power of sun is a nutrient, right? And you think about one of the nutrients that helps with depression, right, is vitamin D. This is why people live with that, what's it called, seasonal affective disorder, right? Like in the wintertime in Seattle, for example, people get depressed. I actually think I have that because when I don't see the sun, my energy is just terrible. My mood is not there. So look at the sun being a very, very powerful healer for your mental state, right? But you just got to remember, just like anything else, just like training, you got to make sure you're not overdosing on it because you can burn yourself and you can't get in trouble with the sun, but proper healthy moderation of it, ideal. Um, stretch and soft tissue. And this, when I say stretch and soft tissue, I think about like, you know, this could be yoga, this could be massage, this could be foam rolling, this could be trigger point, this could be anything in this. Like, there's this all kind of in Eastern medicine, they talk about this a lot that like a lot of, you know, trauma or emotions or things are trapped inside of the tissue and how empowering a good acupuncture session or a massage um, session or a foam rolling session or stretching or yoga, Pilates, getting your body to move and get the tissue to move. And I know that might be a little woo woo for some people, but if anybody's ever left a good massage, you don't really leave in a bad mood, right? Like you think about how empowering a good massage is. Now, the cool thing is you don't need to get a massage from somebody else to get that feeling like a good foam rolling session, you know, whatever it is, right? Like find ways to obviously help downregulate some of those things. Now to move into a little bit of some nutrition stuff, eating gut foods, removing gut irritants or irritants. I don't know why I'm having so much hard, such a hard time with English today, but whatever. Look at foods that are causing distress um, both digestively to obviously you go into the bathroom. This could be your skin. This could be bloating. These are all things that are going to be irritants to the gut, right? And when we think about the idea that serotonin and majority of the production from serotonin comes from the gut, you can imagine what a food that's irritating to the gut is going to do for that, right? So finding things that are gut friendly for you, right? That help the gut microbiota. That's going to be ideal when we think about it from a diet perspective of the things that we want to be able to choose, right? So, Things like lectins, phytates, oxalates, gluten, grains, processed sugars, um, seed oils, right? These are all things and all this, like when we think about food products and not food itself, um, obviously you kind of want to stay away from naturally, but even like whole foods like plants, right? So you think about like oxalates that come from like 
Things like spinach and kale probably have the highest content. Lectins, this could be some people have sensitivity towards tomato. Phytates, this could be sensitivity towards like almonds or some nuts, right? Certain foods react differently to certain people. So it's not saying that like, oh, all people should avoid those things. You just need to be really kind of like aware of what foods do what to you. Do you feel better when you eat those foods or do you feel worse when you eat those foods? Uh, and you start to feel sluggish or things like that, you can imagine what it's going to do. And this is where the conversation of stress management is so important because is it a psychological thing that's causing you stress or is it a physiological thing that's causing you stress? Because if you have nutrient deficiencies and you're sedentary and you never see sunlight because you're always inside, your sleep sucks because you're always seeing late, you know, let's say you're on screen till 2 a.m., you are creating a physiological stressed out state and that could be even the opposite for someone that's like i'm always trading right or over training or overdoing things as well so it's a you know there's a balance once again but that's one thing we always need to think about is like a lot of people think it's just a psycho thing right but it's like it's a psycho and a physio right and trying to figure out which one for you is going to be the thing you need to work on eating nutrient dense right so when you think about like there's kind of three or four big vitamins minerals or nutrients that when you think about depression or anxiety that people tend to be deficient in, right? Number one is B vitamins, right? B12 mainly, but B all the B vitamins, right? B vitamins naturally come from more meat-based products and seafood-based products, right? And then you think about zinc, right? Like my number one zinc supplement in the world is an oyster, right? Like if you have shellfish, oysters, clams, mussels, things like that, fish, lobster, shrimp has a little bit, eggs have a little bit, meat obviously has a little... Um, those things are obviously going to help bring more of those nutrients back in. Magnesium. One thing that a lot of people forget is majority of people are deficient in magnesium. Magnesium is one of those things that has like, I think, six or seven different chelates. So there's like lysinate, like all these different things I have no idea how to pronounce. And those are all things that are drivers of a stressed out state because when you are stressed, your body's actually depleting magnesium, right? So this is why taking like a magnesium supplement, which is one of the things that I'll talk about here in a second, is probably going to be a great thing to help with sleep or to help with calming effects or help with, you know, reducing stress overall. But getting that through the diet obviously is going to be such an important thing. And then the fourth one is your vitamin D, right? And this is obviously like what we're talking about in relationship to uh, sunlight. But this is obviously dietary stuff too, right? Like getting enough fish or getting sardines or getting some eggs, you know, getting things in the diet that are obviously going to provide that too. When you're getting the nutrients your body needs to thrive, your body functions at a really, really high level. When you're nutrient deficient in certain things, and this is why, like, I hope this doesn't really offend anybody, but the vegetarian and vegan diet has been shown to cause more depression and anxiety than any other diet in the world. And the reason why is because it creates deficiencies in zinc, magnesium, but mainly zinc and B vitamins, right? Those are things you mainly get from animal products. So that's why when I say anybody that's working with a vegetarian client or a vegan client, like, you actually need to supplement. You should be supplementing with that diet, which is why I believe that diet's not optimal for human health. Because if you need a supplement with a diet, like granted, I understand, sure, some of the, you know, the soil doesn't have as much magnesium as it used to. The water that we drink doesn't have it. I, I get that, right? But really, it's like, how do I optimize the diet and minimize the amount that I need to supplement? Supplement should just be a supplement, as always. Um, hydrate with electrolytes and produce. Electrolytes being the big one, and this is obviously for people that are really, you know, are having a lot of effort and sweat and things like that where they're losing some of that hydration. It's been shown that obviously one of the things that we see with depression or anxiety as well is very dehydrated tissue. So making sure that I'm getting the sodium, the potassium, the magnesium, the calcium back into the cells, back into the muscle, um, because those are things that are going to help mitigate that as well. Reducing processed sugars and seed oils. Talked about that earlier. Processed sugars. I mean, obviously, if anybody has a kid listening to this, give your kid a bag of Skittles and watch how crazy they get for an hour and watch how bad they drop. 
Um, I'll give you a little like anecdotal kind of example. My nephew, we were up in Healdsburg. They, Jen and Jay, both were like, "Hey, I don't give Waylon a lot of process, or try not to give him those type of foods because we notice his mood is so much more volatile." But when we're giving him whole foods, we're giving him meats, we're giving him fruits, we're giving him his carrots, his pickles, the things that he enjoys, he's much more stable with his mood, right? And that's an anecdotal kind of um, example, but like, that's just like you would imagine how most of us would work. So when you're having these very highly processed, highly refined type of foods, you're going to have a lot more volatility in blood sugar, and that's going to have a lot more volatility in the mood as well. Seed oils is the balancing between omega-6 and omega-3. Like, you're not ever going to avoid having omega-6, and I think that's where some of that fear-mongering kind of comes from that I think is wrong. But you want to imagine that, like, 4 to 5, like, 1 to 1 ratio of omega-6 to omega-3, right? A lot of times, and this is uh, in the book Perfect Health Diet, I think, and they talk about, like, the average American, I think, is at 50 to 1 average, meaning that they have 50 times more omega-6 in their diet than they do omega-3. Um, and you want to be closer to like a three to five to one, right? So it goes to show you that we're almost 10x over where we should be. And a lot of that just because we're eating at fast food, we're eating out, we're eating processed foods. And those foods are all made with the canola oil, the sunflower oil, the safflower oil, the rapeseed oil. And all those things are not going to be ideal for optimal health as well. Next one, circadian rhythm, huge one. When you think about cortisol, cortisol is the antagonist to melatonin. So when I am not getting enough bright light in the morning, and I'm getting too much bright light at night, I am throwing off my circadian rhythm, right? Your body is not knowing when is like, when's the sun out, when's the, like, when's dark time, when's light time. So importance of light cycles throughout the day is one of those things that's gonna help with the regulation of circadian rhythm. Last night I was on PubMed, I'm looking at like, does circadian rhythm disruption affect stress, right? It's a lot of correlation, not necessarily causation, but they're both bi-directional, as we all know, because when I'm stressed, I don't sleep well. But when I don't sleep well, I'm also more sensitive to be more stressed. So understanding that these things too, correlation or causation or not, like they obviously have an impact on each other, both directions. So circadian rhythm optimization comes from, hey, when you wake up in the morning, right? Ideally having a more steady, I go to bed at a certain time, I wake up at a certain time and trying to get those things more constant, getting more bright light. Even if you're not going outside, just turning as many lights as you can first thing in the morning on. Right, get the brain to go because all the light is received through the eyes, right? So when you're outside, the sunlight through the eyes is the thing that's telling the brain to go through all these processes that we're talking about. So in the morning, it doesn't matter if you're not going outside or not, turn all the lights on. And as soon as the sun sets, start to dim the house down. Even something that I do, the Nikki does not like that I do it because she likes to work late at night and I don't really approve that message, but whatever. <laughs> is I'll start turning some lights off. You should not gonna let me turn all the lights off, whatever. Well, I'll turn some lights off, I'll put my blue light blockers on, and it's a dramatic difference. When I have all the lights on, yeah, I can be up till 11 p.m. or midnight or 1 a.m. and still think like, oh, what time is it? It's easy to lose track of time, but as you use the light to your advantage, it's something that's gonna help optimize that stuff as well. Um, meditation or breath work or prayer. I mean, obviously when you guys think about stress management techniques, meditation, breath work, prayer are probably the easiest way to get yourself back into the present moment. If I were to give you one lever to pull on to immediately change the stress, the, like where you currently are with stress, it would definitely come from breathing, right? Because breathing is going to be the thing that we can immediately get into and tap into and regulate everything. If I were to just have you take a breath in for five seconds, and I would have you exhale for eight to 10 seconds, and you were to do that five or 10 times, I can guarantee you just in doing that in five rounds, you would dramatically feel more relaxed. So the exhale is the thing that tells the brain to relax, right? And that vagal tone, the basically the vagus nerve between these two things, breathing has a really big impact on that as well, just like diet and gut health does too. 
Um, so that's a huge one. Supplement, like we kind of talked about. So supplementing with magnesium, ashwagandha, reishi, L-theanine, melatonin. These are all things that maybe think about if you're in a really stressed out state. So I use magnesium. I use a company called BioOptimizer, I think from the quality perspective. And they have five or six of the chelates of the magnesium. So they have different types and forms of the magnesium. Ashwagandha I don't do. Reishi I do. Uh, I love whole food kind of approaches to supplements versus it being like synthetic supplements. I prefer whole food stuff, um, which is why I like reishi. I use a company called Real Mushrooms. I use lion's mane in my coffee in the morning. I'm going to use reishi for night. Not religious about that. I've actually been kind of bad with that lately, but something to use. L-theanine. You see a lot of L-theanine in green tea, which is why green tea maybe gives people less jitters or less sensitivity towards the caffeine because the L-theanine is actually the balancing towards that. Uh, and melatonin too. It's melatonin, something to not be afraid of dosing correctly, not go overboard with it, but taking a little bit at night and getting yourself back into healthier sleep cycles and maybe helping. Because, you know, like we said, it's bidirectional. If I can improve my sleep, I can improve my management of stress, vice versa. So supplementing is a huge thing I'd recommend. Uh, next one, time for creativity, art, writing, filming, cooking, like creation. I think one of the biggest things as a human that some of us, and some of us are more what I call the artist type, right? Um, I consider myself somewhere in the middle of this, but like, I like the idea of creation. So even me writing all this stuff down and spending the time to write three pages of notes for today's podcast and just kind of, I, I, I enjoy it. Right. I think like having time for creation and like one thing that I've realized, like even through building the gyms is I actually enjoy building stuff. I don't know if it's cause I come from a dad that's blue collar, but I love construction. I love working on things. I like the idea of wood shop, like I just like working, right? And I think like working is creating a, an environment where you can create action for yourself. And that obviously makes it so much easier to just create a healthy relationship towards work, right? So having times set out for yourself where you can actually get in creativity or whatever that form is for you. Um, next one, huge one. I mean, obviously this is something you should be practicing all the time, but practicing gratitude and verbally and written, right? And what I mean by that is writing down things consistently that you're grateful for, but then also saying those things out loud and saying those things to people around you, right? Like, I think that's probably one thing that I underutilize a lot is just like throwing out to outside of my work, you know, compliments or statements of gratitude, you know, like how grateful I am for my parents or my brothers or my friends or you know, my fiance or my dog and like showing that love. And what we talked about earlier, the ox those famous word I can't use today, oxytocin. Um, you know, these are things that, you know, gratitude brings you into a present moment. Gratitude gives you this place of acceptance, right? And I think when you can become more grateful for the things you have, you tend to focus less on the things that you need or what you're looking for or what you're striving for, right? Like we want to find things that just get us to like, I love my job. I love my relationship. I love the things that I have. Like, and when I love those and I'm grateful for what I have, it's easy for me to distrust the process. It's easy for me not to think about what's next. It's easy for me not to stress myself out about what I should be doing because you're able to kind of center yourself right away. Um, journaling is the next one. I think for me, this has always been a huge thing. And this is not even necessarily like a writing a diary. I consider journaling like what I'm doing right now of writing things down. I'm a big whiteboard guy at home. I use whiteboards at the gym. Like I love just writing things down, but really where I think the impact of journaling comes from is journaling is the thing that's going to allow you to get what's in your mind that's chaotic and unorganized and get it out on paper or out somewhere and create a system of organization, right? Because now you can visually see it versus only what you were thinking and hearing in your head. So I think journaling is one of those things that if you deal with a lot of chaos inside of your brain, journaling and getting it out and writing it down is going to be a great tool that you can use too. Um, next one, 
do more of your hobbies. I, for me personally, I think this is something that I always say to clients that like, there's so many people that do not have something for them, right? And that could be that art or that creation period. That could be um, snowboarding. That could be surfing. That could be tennis. Could be golf. Could be working out. Even that could be whatever it is. Like, what do you have? Is something that you really really enjoy right and if you don't really enjoy what you're doing consistently throughout the day it's very easy for us to feel stressed right and i think this is as um how would i say this as an adult i think this is the thing that we've gotten away from the most right as kids like we're playing with our friends we're playing in the playground we're playing sports we have all these fun activities then we get into adulting and it's like oh it's just about work it's just about keeping my health together and it's like you're trying to keep the ship from sinking versus just like enjoying the ride that you're on right and I think that's why it's so important to make sure that you're doing the things that you enjoy consistently outside of your work and your family, your things for yourself. And if you don't have hobbies, start exploring, right? Start finding things that you really enjoy doing and then start doing more of those. And that's why I think people getting into a tennis club or a country club or a gym or creating that community or putting yourself in a place where it's easy to do that. Um, optimize your people. This is obviously a huge one. If you have a shitty relationship with your partner or your coworkers or your family or your roommates, you can imagine how stressful life will become. So being aware and cognizant that you have control of those things, obviously when it comes to relationship, like staying in a bad relationship, as everyone probably knows through maybe one experience in their life, is a very unhealthy and distracting thing to do. Family, I think, is probably the hardest one out of all those. And then coworkers too can be because... Some of that stuff is really out of your control. You can maybe choose to do a different department or a different job, but like having good relationships is also a perspective thing, right? Because like you have to be the person that's watering that plant. You have to be the person that's kind of fostering relationships as well versus expecting everyone to just be super nice to you, right? So, but optimizing the people I think is always gonna be a huge impact on what we think for optimizing stress because having negativity around you or having a surrounding of lazy people around you, having these things around you naturally are going to make you more of that you are just a byproduct of your environment so if you're tired of hanging around or being lazy but all your friends are lazy like you need to change your friends you don't need to change the mindset right or you need to bring your friends on this journey with you uh, next one reduce social media this is another environmental piece news and fear-based stuff i mean if anybody doesn't believe me go back to the pandemic watch the news watch how much they scared the shit out of everyone right one of my biggest problems with media, and I think even, you know, sometimes even America where we're at as a country sometimes is we put so much energy and effort into all the shit that's going on around us, right? So the foreign affairs, for example, like, or, you know, all the money that we spend on things outside of this country versus investing back into ourselves. And I use that as an example that we should be able to do that as humans. Sometimes we're putting so much effort and energy into things around you that you're not getting any of the benefit of the things that are going on inside of you. So you need to dedicate more time towards those things as well. Um, be aware of the music you listen to. I mean, this is one of those like simple hacks that I think probably has the least change of effect for people because honestly, like music either makes you feel good or it gets you pumped up. I've always said this, like if I go into any like big negotiation over a property or real estate or something like that, I immediately go, okay, I'm gonna listen to some rap or some hardcore rock. I need to get myself fucking pumped up. So it's an energy. It gives me energy, right? But you could also, like, imagine something like reggae, right? Reggae for me or, like, slow, like, chill house music is very calming for me, right? And music is something that I use based off my mood, but also it also is something that can dictate my mood, right? So if you're someone that is a little bit more high rev, like, pay attention to those things. 
getting outside of nature i mean i think one thing about nature it's pretty straightforward is like understanding that we evolved in nature and there's things called fractals which are basically like these geogram uh how would i say it like if you how do i say this correctly fractals are basically a thing that are based inside of geometry right and there's been they show that fractals are very calming for the body and calming for the nervous system right so if you think about trees or coastlines or rivers or lakes like they're visually very calming so when you think about like what is actually happening inside of what makes nature more calming it's due to some of those things too next thing would be like negative ions right so negative ions are like you know atoms that have an electrical charge or negative charge from an extra electron and those come from ocean river lake um so they 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 create a physiological calming effect to the body and this is why for me i've always been such a beach bum is like when i'm at the beach I feel calm. I feel centered, right? When I'm out at nature, when I'm out at walks with the dog, it's just like, and I love like our little park because I feel like I'm outside of the city life. Um, but pay attention to your environment because both some people, you know, get more energy from being in a city versus some people get more energy from being away from everybody in a country. Um, grounding being another thing, which is kind of in the aspect of negative ions, like negatively electric, like we are electrical beings. And I think a lot of people forget about that. And this is why the benefit of grounding is such a dramatic thing when they talk about like inflammation for the body. And inflammation is kind of the root of all disease if anybody actually takes any time to study some of these things. So finding ways to reduce inflammation through stress management, grounding, diets, training, whatever it might be, are all great ways to optimize your well-being and longevity of who you are. Next one, social connection and solitude. And I think this is a balancing act that like, you know, people that are naturally more socially isolated, especially during the pandemic, we saw a lot of this. It's good to make sure that you're giving yourself time to hang out with your friends and family and put yourself in these social environments. But if you're someone that naturally has a lot of social environment or stimulus, it's important, like for me, I'm like this, like it's important for me to have moments of solitude because these moments of solitude are what give me my energy back they fill my cup right and i think it's a balance between those two things because being completely alone is not something that i enjoy but being completely surrounded by people all the time also not something i enjoy so the balance between connection and isolation i think is a fine thing um normalize sleep times use naps more i mean obviously when you think about everything that we're talking about with sleep that's such a huge piece for it um, and that's all I really want to talk about. The rest of this stuff is just kind of like, you know, more mindset. So purpose and passion, presence, your service to others, learning to let go, believing in things that are bigger than you, the aspect of staying open-minded, learning, dancing, religion, philosophy, positive self-talk. There's so many things that you can do. But just make sure that you're carving out time from your life to create an environment for yourself to really be optimal in what you're trying to create from a management of stress because when you can manage stress you enjoy life a lot more you sleep better you absorb the nutrients from your food a lot more effectively you don't fight cravings that are bad for you you recover from your workouts you're outside more your mindset's gonna improve so you're gonna see all these things are gonna come with it so i hope this helps i hope it wasn't too long and i will see you guys next week take care